because we classrooms are loaded with people that were at camp. But uh, the Spirit of the Lord just came in a great, mighty way. Preaching was great. Teaching was great. Singing was great. Fellowship was great. Just a good camp. I Really, I don't know when we've ever had a better camp. In fact, uh, I think it's the best camp I've ever been to. Just great. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. And we want to greet all of our guests. God bless you, and thank you so very much for coming. We're just kind of down-home type folks here, and we love to have guests. We we get excited when we come to the house of God. It's just good to see you here. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hosea. And I want to thank the ushers, whoever brought the tea up here. This is just great. And this is a, a peach-flavored tea. Don't you wish you had a glass? I think this is peach. Did you bring this up, Brother Martin? Thank you. This will be a two-glass sermon for sure. Hosea 10, verse 12, and I'll read only one verse. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. And you may be seated, and I want to just use a portion of this, break up your fallow ground, and I'll use this as the title of this message. Uh, We just really had our ground broken up this week. (laughs) Plowed deep, turned, ripped apart, and you not encouraged. I really was encouraged at camp. Now, fallow ground is soil that has been turned, but it has uh, been unturned for a while. In other words, it tur- it's turned over and just left to lay for a while. And becomes hardened again. And so purposefully it has been neglected so that uh, a rest can, can uh, take place in, in, in the earth. But uh, when it comes to the heart, and that's what uh, Hosea is talking about. Actually he's talking about Israel. Uh, at the heart of the people, he's talking about the heart that has become hardened because of the elements and such, just like uh, uh, ground becomes hardened through neglect, and then, of course, the rains and such beating and washing and, 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 and causing it to compact. Now, the whole book of Hosea is prophecy against, I say against, maybe I should say, maybe that would be a good word, against Israel because most of it does go against Israel, because of her neglect, not to hear, but to do. Now, when we talk about the hardened heart, usually what comes to your attention is maybe someone that has a real firm 
nasty attitude. I, I, I tell you, I've, uh, I've run across people like that. Just to give you an example, I, I remember going into a hospital. I had been called there by a precious lady that I had never met before. Did not know her name. When I got there, she told me her husband was dying with cancer and that he just had brain surgery and they could not take the tumor out. So that they had uh, pretty much just sewn him back up and just let it go. So she asked me if I would come in and pray for him. So I went into the room. Of course, he was on, uh, you know, all kinds of, of, you know, IVs and such and pretty much strapped down there. But he could understand. I talked with him briefly. And uh, he, he seemed to be pretty nice. And then all of a sudden he found out I was a, a minister. And I could tell when he found out that I was a minister that uh, things kind of changed. So I, I asked him, I said, uh, would, would you care if I pray with you? And I'm here to tell you, this man on his deathbed, he says, no. And on his, just the, you could see in his eyes that he became, I mean, just terribly upset. He says, no, I don't want you praying for me. And, and his wife came over and said, hon, you know your condition. And I've called him here to pray for you. Would you please allow him to pray? He was in the university hospital. He says, no. I want him to get out of here right now. I don't want him to pray. Well, I hardly, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I was so moved. And I went outside and his wife came out and she kept apologizing to me. I said, well, you know, I, I, uh, I, I feel terrible about this. She said, but he doesn't have very long to live. And she wanted me to go back in again. And I said, well, I'll go back in. I mean, if, I don't really know how, you know, I, I don't know how effective it would be if I went in and prayed. And he says, no, I don't want you. Get out, you know. So... She went back in. I stood outside. But the thing about it, she came back out and said, no, he, he, he says no. Uh, this man died a few days later. But now, there are others <clears throat> that uh, are not quite so firm and not quite so caustic. But they're equally as set in their mind that they're not going to do. I'm, I'm amazed when you start dealing with people. Some of the people that you think would respond to God are the very ones that, that just won't make a move. Can't budge them. I've seen others that said, no, I'll tell you, I'm not going to. You won't get me to do this. And would you believe that they... They receive the Holy Ghost quickly and readily. Now, when when I have always, I think I've always been pretty tender to the things of the Lord. 
I don't know. When I, I was growing up, you know, my mother just put a fear of God in me. You know, and I, when, when I was growing up, we had anyone in the community that, if we had a funeral, she made me go. And I've been told by some parents, you know, you have to, these kids have nightmares about funerals, about dying, and it's probably some of those nightmares and things like that that I had about dying that, that gave me a respect and a fear of God and eternity. I said, you need to hear this. I was not an ideal child. You have to understand that. I got into a lot of mischief. And I've done some things that I I would not want. I didn't want my boys to know about it, and I wouldn't want my grandkids to know. So, uh, you know, I've had some pretty close scrapes with death. But uh, my mother made me go to these funerals. Oh, man. I'd go up there and look at this body. Yeah, I wouldn't sleep that night. You know, just, oh, just closing that casket down on, just see myself. And somebody, I told my mother, I said, man, it scares me to death. She said, yeah, but when you're dead, you don't know it. Yeah, but when I think about it, I know it. <laughs> you know, I just, ugh. And she said, well, son, this is good for you because death is one of the most natural things on this planet Earth. Everything is decaying. Everything is dying. It's rusting away. And it is temporal. It will not be here. So my mother kind of kept the ground turned and ripped apart. <clears throat> oh, yeah, I had some nightmares. You know, I had nights in which I couldn't sleep. Things bothered me, you know. But uh, on the other hand, I've always been fairly tender toward the things of the Lord. I've seen others that, wow. I've seen people come to church and come to church, and God starts dealing with them. And I'm here to tell you, they put both feet down. And they're kind, they're nice, but they won't give their heart to God. Now, the very night that my wife received the Holy Ghost, my wife became so irate at me because I was trying to get her to go to the altar and pray. You know what she did? She grabbed our middle son, Roy, and ran in the nursery and sat down and started rocking him. And she was so mad when she went in there. I'm, I'm here to tell you, she was smoking. <clears throat> and some dear sister went in the room and started talking to her. And somebody else went in there. And I heard in this nursery, which was kind of back on this side behind the the, the platform. I heard people praying and seeking God. I thought, what in the world is taking place? And I went and opened the door and looked in there, and they were praying with my wife, and she was receiving the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> I wasn't able to reach her. 
Now, I did a whole lot of preaching, you know. I preached, uh, oh, probably 25 hours out of every day. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I doubled up, you know. <laughs> my, my pastor said, you need to be a little easy on her. And uh, I thought I was, but she didn't think so. But thank the Lord that she saved today. But someone, you know, with a real tender touch went in there and started talking to her. Uh, I wasn't so tender. You know, I was just, you serve God. You've got to serve God. You're going to burn in hell if you don't serve God. She said, but I am saved. I said, well, you just think you're saved. You know, the Bible says repent. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, I was just slugging my way, you know, just shoving it down her throat. And what I was doing, I was making her resist. I just wasn't too kind about it. But there are others who, when the gospel is presented in the proper way, and I'd be the first to tell you that this wasn't the right approach. I thought it was. You know, I really really did. I thought it was. It wasn't. Because if someone else had not have gone to her, and, and, and shown a lot of tender care and straightened out some of the messes that I had made of the situation. <laughs> she might not be saved today, and I probably wouldn't be either. <laughs> but there are others who you can do everything just right, and they just won't respond. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth, these sayings of mine, and doeth them. I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon the rock. And then, verse 26, And everyone that heareth these things of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. I know we're talking about fallow ground, hardened ground, and sand is not hard. But nevertheless, Jesus is just turning around and using a little different story. What he's saying is that you build your own life, your own castle, so to speak, on something that's not substantial, that it's not rigid. It will not stand. But the, the ground that he's talking about here is, is not, not the heart. Now, we want to make sure that we stay in a condition in which we can hear the voice of God and respond to the voice of God. And, you know, if you're here this morning and you're having trouble just responding to God, you need to just take the Bible and open it up and you need to get in it and you need to pray and you need to read and ask God to give you a heart that is willing, a willing heart, Now, in Matthew 13, Jesus gives the parable of the sower. And and the Bible tells us that uh, he went forth and he sowed seed, Matthew 13, verse 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. And the fowls came and devoured them up. I notice what he said, wayside. When you think of wayside, what kind of soil are you, are you, you think he's talking about? He's basically talking about soil. 
that someone has made a path across. Someone's made a path across. I have a, a few cows, and what they do, they walk a certain way to the water trough or a certain way to the stream. We have a stream. And you can see no seeds grow there. There's grass over the whole pasture, but not there. Why? Because it's hardened. It's packed. And, of course, they, they, keep, they keep it pretty much torn up just by, you know, packing it further and packing it deeper. And the ruts get deep. After a while, it's down like this. And I try to alter situations so they won't make this, but they do it anyway. And that's what he's talking about. He says that some seed will fall on that kind of ground. And when we purchased the, the farm and we started to uh, put the house, we, we, we took the driveway up on higher ground. And the low ground down there where the driveway was, we, we, we tried to seed it. And we've had a tough time because there's a lot of, of hardness still in that. You can see where the, the old roadbed was. And it's very, very pronounced. You go out there, and, and it has a few things growing, mostly weeds. We keep try to keep them mowed, but uh, it just it's just not good ground. It, I should have taken some kind of a big plow and plowed it up, ripped it apart, and uh, seeded it so that it would be ready to receive seed. When I seeded it, that was not the case. I did run a disc over it, but I only cut it like just a little bit. It was hard. And I said, I just don't have enough time to do this, so I just kind of ran over it and put some seed there. I thought the grass would kind of take care of itself. Unfortunately, it's not doing that. So, some seed fell by the wayside. Now, Jesus explains this wayside in verse 18 and 19. Let's look look at this. Hear ye the parable of the sower. All right? When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. Do you know without an eagerness and a willingness to understand Scripture, you will not receive the revelation of what God wants you to do? I'm here to tell you there are certain things that, that you could talk your head off to certain people about, and they never would understand it. There are even some Christians who, you know, they get a little bit cold and indifferent in their relationship. And you talk to them, and, and it's like talking to that wall over there. And, and yet they just, and, and yet they feel it's somebody else's fault. It's just, you know, I'm the, I'm the one that's right, and I know what's going on, and this is not what God is wanting of me. This is not what God is requiring. It's like talking to that wall over there. Because before the, the seed has a chance to even grow, the fowls, and that's Satan, the Bible says, Satan comes and takes it away. Did you know the wicked one can come and just snatch the word of God away from you? So when you attend the house of God and you hear the word of the Lord or you read your Bible, you must open your heart and remain pliable, flexible, and willing to obey Scripture. Pretty much justify anything you want to justify. And, and your mind helps you 
you know, make up those excuses. Have you ever wanted to get out of something and you didn't really have a valid reason? And you just ran things by and ran things by and ran things by and ran things by. And maybe somebody called you up and they asked you to come over for supper. And at the time you said yes, but then later on you thought, I can't, I just, no. And you just ran things by. And after a while, you know, something came up and it sounds all right. So now I have my excuse. I've done that spiritually speaking. So now, why should I have to do this? How can I get out of it? And you know, the amazing thing is that God can read not only your thoughts, but the intents of your heart. Do you know God can do that? The word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and to the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When a crime has been committed, the first thing that detectives look for is the motive. What caused this person to do this? If they can find the motive, then they look for someone who is has an interest, a vital interest in in, in, in the elimination of the individual, let's say in a murder case. Maybe the person had a lot of money and maybe there's a surviving relative someplace, you know, that's in the will. Now, whether they find the motive, the man or the individual possibly be, could become suspect simply because that uh, they try to, when they figure out the motive, for this, the intent, what, what drove this person to do this? What caused this person to do this? Now, the Bible says that God has the ability to read your mind, but he can go a step further. He knows why you do what you do. See? He knows what causes you to think the way you think. So when, you, when, you, when you're home sometime and you say, oh, I got out of going to church tonight because, and you give that little excuse, you know, that it is possible to fool yourself. You know, just plain fool yourself because you think, I mean, you're feeling justified. You know, the night before I received the Holy Ghost, this is what happened. Brother Johnny Wilhoyt was, was in a revival at our church. And I was sick. I had a stomach ulcer, and I was very sick. Brother Wilhoit came by and asked me if I would, the pastor sent him out, see, and asked me if I would come to church that night. I said, I, don't, I can't. I was in bed. I was sick. He said, would you come in the morning? And I, I'm, this is a mistake that I made. I made the mistake by saying, it wasn't a mistake, but in my mind, see. That's what I looked at. I made the mistake by saying, Brother Wilhelm, honestly, if I felt like it, I would. He said, what if you feel like it in the morning? And without thinking, I said, because I had used that for an excuse, I said, oh, I'll be at church. I was so sick on a Saturday night, and they were having a revival service, that I couldn't stand myself. I woke up early Sunday morning, and I felt like I was healed. 
I got up and I felt so good. And, you know, I'm just whistling Dixie around the house. And, and all of a sudden, I'm telling you, it's like, a, like God sent a telegram to me. <laughs> like someone knocked on the door. So we have a telegram from Mr. Grant. And I remembered I told him. Then I said to myself, well, it doesn't make any difference. I probably won't see that evangelist ever again in my life. Because he's going to be in here and out of here. So it doesn't really make any difference. So I went up, you know, about my business and get the Sunday paper. And you begin to read the paper. And, all, you know, it kept coming back to me. Yes, but you're, you're deceiving yourself when you act like this. So then, then I thought, well, maybe I am still sick. <clears throat> maybe I don't feel so good. My wife gets up and she said, you just act like you feel good. She says, well, Brother Wilhoit prayed for you last night, you know. Oh, don't say that. Don't tell me that. I was, I don't want to hear that. So I go on in, and, you know, and I'm just trying to avoid my conscience. Now, the thing about it is, if you're not honest with yourself... It doesn't make any difference whether you're living for God or not. If you're not honest with yourself, you're building monumental problems for yourself tomorrow. You know that? I meant monumental problems. You start deceiving yourself. Well, I said, well, I just uh, <clears throat> think I'll just get ready and go to church. But you know, I could withstand the best of the preaching. So I thought, well, I'll go on to church. And I'd sought for the Holy Ghost, but I really wasn't real serious about it. So I I go and I sit way close to the back, about where Brother Hicks is sitting or Brother John Juno is sitting. That's no reflection on them sitting close to the back. I just wanted to be as far away from the preachers I could get. Just, just a handful of people there. And I sit there and... I had, uh, you know, I, I knew exactly how to turn off the preacher. You know, all you had to do, we had ceiling tile in the ceiling. Some of them were sagging. I knew how many ceiling tile were this way and that way and how many were over the, you know, seriously. I mean, I, I just, you know, we had some knotty pine paneling in the back. which was kind of stained real light. And I knew how many boards were across. And I knew all that. Some windows and I. I, I knew what was out this window and out that window. And when when God started talking to my heart, guess what I usually did? I usually started looking out the window. Or another thing you can do, you look around at people and start watching, concentrate on something else. Sure tune God out. Just knew all the tricks, you know. <clears throat> but I'll tell you what happened to me. On the morning I got in church and he started preaching, I got sick again. But, oh, my, I think I'm going to leave. But I got so horribly sick, I thought I was going to die. I thought, man, I wanted to raise my hand and say, somebody come pray for me. Now, isn't that something how God got me there? Just dealing with me. And I had this, had this, I thought I could outfox God. I'll go, but I won't do anything. So I got there. Oh, you're talking about sick. That's so sick. Mm, I was sick. Well, Brother 
Well, I preached and preached and preached and preached. I thought I never would finish. <laughs> and I mean to tell you, he's evangelistic all the way. He's preached here, you know, Brother Johnny Will. And he's talking about burning in hell. And <clears throat> You know, you used to hear a lot more about hell than you hear now. You know, you don't hear much anymore. People, people don't like to hear it, you know, so preachers don't like to talk about it. Uh, <clears throat> you know, preachers like to give you what you like to hear, you know. <clears throat> But uh, all of a sudden, you know, I, I mean, I just real sick, and, and, and then it just started, it, it started coming to me that, uh, you know, this, this, this problem that I have is, is, is the result of, of God laying some painful experience on me to change my mind. Did you know God will do that? If you do not possess the ability to jump in and plow up the fallow ground yourself to make your heart receptive to the seed of God's Word, God can create some very painful situations. You remember in the Bible, the man by the name of Jonah? You know what happened? Now, Jonah was a prophet. But he decided he wouldn't listen to God. And guess what happened to Jonah? Jonah was swallowed by a whale. I'm telling you, he began to pray. Someone asked me, he said, how in the world could a man escape from a whale? Because he prayed a whale of a prayer. I'm telling you. Now, he didn't have to pray. Keep in mind, he didn't have to. But I have seen some situations that God has, has, has laid upon people. Now, some do and some don't. Unfortunately, some don't. A very good friend of mine that was seeking for the Holy Ghost at the same time I was seeking for the Holy Ghost, he and I had gone to school together. A very, very precious friend of mine. This... Uh, this man had come and prayed at the altar a little bit, would, but he wouldn't go all the way. He was kind of like me. You know You know what? God gave him a dream. And in his dream, he was going out from Henderson toward Brockfield, little community, and when he went down a long valley at Brockfield, he had a very, very tragic car accident, and he was killed. He dreamed that. And he came in and talked to the pastor and talked to me about it. But you know what he thought he would do? He thought, well, I know how. I can stop that. I won't go to Brockfield. So he refused to drive to Brockfield. Now, I got the stomach ulcer. So painful, you know, bleeding ulcer. I thought I was going to die. I ended up praying through kind of in self-defense, you know. I mean, I could have just died. But guess what happened to this man? This man moved to Houston, Texas. I received a call to the ministry. I moved to Houston, Texas to Texas Bible College. And while I was in Bible College, I received word that I should go to a hospital and they told me where it was that there had been a bad car accident and his name was given. And when I got there, his mother that I had known you know, from, for years, since I was a little kid, his mother was a 
there. She was visiting with them, and uh, it was getting close to Thanksgiving. And he was trying, he, was, he took a job, del- some kind of a delivery job. He was driving a pretty large truck. And, and he decided that, that he was going to get home, had to go out of town that day, he was going to get home for Thanksgiving. And would you believe that when, when he topped a hill there on a lot of those interchanges, down at the bottom there was a police car, and they, they, they had, someone had had a blowout, and, and he was going too fast. He locked the brakes, the, the truck jackknife, and turned over and threw him out. He went 200 feet feet through the air off of that interstate down to another one and landed on his head. When I went to the hospital, his mother just, I mean, she locked on me. She said, John, please pray. She said, you know, he's, he's thought about this. He's thought about giving his heart to God. He's not, he's not right with God. And I went in that hospital room and I prayed. I, I never prayed so hard. I went home. I was up all that night praying for him. I was back at the hospital. I prayed. I sought God. I went home from the hospital. And I morning got home from the hospital. And she called me and she told me that he had passed away. You know, it was the hardest thing in the world to go to his funeral. I just our pastor, who was pastoring in, in Henderson when I received the Holy Ghost, and when he had the dream, had moved to Houston and taken a church there. So here we all are in a, in a different community. But he had received this dream, and he thought the best way for me to avoid what could possibly happen is not to go to Brockfield. God was giving him this warning. This this boy could play a guitar and sing. He was so talented. He would not use his talent for the Lord. He'd go around to some of the bars and play and sing. God dealt with him. Had a precious wife and I think two boys. It was just so sad. I just I've thought about that so many, many times. You know, God can create some experiences in life, some very painful. You know, maybe someone here is going through a painful experience. That doesn't altogether mean that you're running from God, but most people who are running from God know they're running from God. I've talked with people that said they didn't have any idea, but, but they actually knew they were running from God. If that be the case... Please hear me. I know this message is kind of low-key, but please hear me. You need to listen to God. You need to listen to God. I, re- I remember uh, a man in Shano. We, we prayed for him. We sought the Lord for this man. I went by a visit with him, and he was so tender and so kind. And But he never had been to church. In fact... He told me he never had been to church in his life outside of just a wedding and a funeral he'd attended. But you know, when I was praying one Saturday afternoon, I felt a real tug from God to go visit with him. And when I went to his, his house, I, I still remember seeing him sitting in a rocking chair. 
And I talked with him. He was not in good health. He told me, he said, I don't know that I could sit through a church service. I said, I'll tell you what. I'll come and I will pick you up and I'll take your rocking chair. I'll put it in my car and we'll take it to church. Because, you know, he had already told me, so I sit here for hours in this chair. I said, and he could walk, but he he had, uh, uh, I think, some kind of a, I'm not for sure what his problem was, but he was just very, very, a very sick man. And um, So when I asked him about this, what do you think about this? And I told him. He says, no, I don't think so. And I said, well, I, I tell you what, I just really feel that God sent me here. He said, are you sure? And I said, yeah. I said, well, will you come? And you know what he did? He looked at men. It was like, like everything about him changed. In other words, you can only push me so far, Pastor. He looked at me, and I, I, I could see his countenance change. He was not a friendly man when he said this. He says, no. You're talking about a sick feeling. I had this, the sickest feeling when he told me this, Brother Manley. When I walked out and got in the car, you know, I talked with him, made small talk with him, changed the subject somewhat. I went out and got in the car. I felt so sick inside. The next morning I went to church. Sunday afternoon, he had a massive heart attack. He was taken to the local hospital. I went there to the hospital. This man was in a coma. And would you believe, listen to me, he... The only response, the nurse said when I went in there, is that he, the only response, I meant, this man is near death. The only response is every now and then he will say, Pastor Grant. That's all he would say. So at the request of the family, I went in, I prayed for him, I was by his side. They decided to take him to Green Bay that he was uh, not doing well. They took him to Green Bay, and even there, he kept saying my name. Well, I'm sorry to have to say that this man passed away. He never regained consciousness. In Green Bay, I went in, and I got so sick of there praying for him. And the nurse came out and said, you know, he called your name again. That's a strange thing. Did, did, did you know him real well? And I said, no, I really didn't. I knew him, but I didn't know him that well. I mean, I wasn't a personal friend. I'd gone by and, and uh, talked with him about the Lord. But obviously, what had happened, the only thing I can think of is that this was on that man's mind. And when he had his massive heart attack, he no doubt. Now, I don't, you know, I don't like to pass judgment on anyone, but, but to my knowledge, a man never prayed, never sought the Lord, never was in church for the purpose of worship. And, you know, it was very difficult when I stood before the family and stood behind the pulpit to, to preach his funeral. It was a difficult thing for me. I preached a mighty difficult funeral in my life. This was a very difficult one simply because of the sick feeling that I had when I left his house that day. I tried every way in the world to just kind of break up the ground 
so he'd be receptive to the word of the Lord. I just had a very, very difficult time. Joel, the second chapter, if you'll turn in your Bibles, I'd just like to read a scripture. Joel, the second chapter, verse 13. <clears throat> now, if you will notice as you're turning there, uh, what is taking place is that uh, in, in your in uh, what's taking place is uh, Joel two twenty eight talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, and in verse fifteen, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify fast, call a solemn assembly. In other words, get everybody praying, get everybody seeking the Lord. Now, in verse thirteen, this is the scripture that I want to call your attention to. And rend your heart and not your garments. The word rend is found here. You know what that's basically talking about? It's talking about to pull apart. To rip it. To tear it. In other words, break it up like you'd break up the fallow ground. Put the plow in it deep going to hurt there's some things in life that are very hurtful and very painful but they're necessary my brother-in-law charlie just went through surgery uh, sister armenti just had the same type surgery on her, their neck a couple of vertebrae fused together it was painful it usually is painful when you have surgery when when there's some cutting and ripping and tearing going on it's very painful, but it is necessary. I talked about the ground out at the farm. We, we do some what we call strip grazing. That is, we just we, we section everything off and let the cows graze, and we move them over to another pasture, and we go in and we mow that, and then we drag that. And I've got a big old uh, drag that I pull over, and it's got these huge spikes, and they go down like, not like this, they go down like this. And when you drive, it's just ripping and tearing. You know, if you saw that pasture after I put that drag to it, you'd say, oh, my, he's ruining that pasture. But let the rains come now. See? And the seed also from the grass that, that we have there that's matured when we cut the pasture after the cows are great, cut it down real close. Rip it to shreds. Let the rains come and the seed start back up. And the, the, the grass gets, uh, the roots, they, they grow. And, and, and after a while you say, man, what a lush pasture. How did it get that way? Because we, we ran the risk of upsetting everything. We ran the risk of tearing it up. We ran the risk of, of, of you know, just ripping it. Parting of the soil. And that, that's exactly what Joel is saying. If you, want, if you want a Holy Ghost revival, if you want things to be right in your life, you've got to let the Spirit of God rip you and tear you. Some things will be painful. God has to push you out of the comfort zone. Now, no one likes pain. Maybe a hypochondriac. Someone that's just, you know, I've seen some people that's sick all the time. And they love to be sick. 
you know. But for the most part, you know, we'll do anything to avoid pain. Just anything to avoid pain. Our tolerance for pain, you know, it's, our tolerance levels, just not there. But in a spiritual sense, it's it's even less. We just, I mean, we sound the alarm. We want to move away. We want to, you know, we want to get away from that. I saw one of the strangest things the other day. We went up to, to youth camp, and it was 94 degrees in Shawano at youth camp. I mean, it was hot. One day it was 94 degrees. And, and I made a little drive out on the north side of the lake, and there was a lady that was, I don't know what she was doing, uh, but, but she had a, just a bunch of lumber and everything, and she had a fire going. And this fire was just blazing up. I mean, way up. This lady was standing like three feet from that fire with all this heat. She's just standing there. And I, and, I, and I told Sister Grant, I said, can you believe she's standing that close to that fire and it's 94 degrees out? Now, I, I know sometimes ladies get cold, you know. We have some here that it's just, a, how many ladies are cold this morning? If Audrey Hawk was in here, she'd be cold. <clears throat> All right. And, and Kim is, is cold this morning. Uh, but, you know, th- that's what happens to... to and, but but here this lady just standing there just like, well, the fire doesn't mean anything. And, and there are a whole lot of people that are that way too uh, about the heat that God puts on. Man, they can really live on the ragged edges. They can get right up. I mean, God can, can, can almost just, you know, strike them dead. And they're just, oh, it's, uh, you know, it's, they just keep making excuses. You know, it's just, uh, that's the way life is. You know, you win some and you lose some. You ever talk to people like that? I think the hardest thing in the world for me to do is to approach some child of God that's having difficulties and, and just try to get them to think that maybe something is not quite right. Now, please understand, you know, you may experience some Job trial when after you search your life and your heart, you just turn up nothing. But it's still, it's still... Thou will not despise. Thou will not despise. You ever seen a Christian that couldn't be broken about anything? Hmm? When people get this way, they need to fully repent. Fully repent. They need to see themselves as they really are. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7.10. The Bible speaks repentance, but it says the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now, the reason why I want to call your attention to this because sometimes God will use the sorrow of the world to bring about a godly sorrow. But there is a difference. Well, there is a difference. I remember not too long ago a man prayed at the altar. And, I mean, you're talking about weeping and crying and praying. I thought, he's going to receive the Holy Ghost because he seemed to be so pliable and so hungry. We just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And when he got up, I thought, boy, he's just this far from receiving the Holy Ghost. You know, he's he, he's got the most repentant spirit that I've ever seen. But when I talked with him, this is what he said. He said, you know, you'll have to forgive me for crying so much today. He said, my girlfriend just moved out. And uh, he, was, he was praying that she'd come back. He said, would you help me pray that, that she would... Uh, come back 
I said, no, I won't. I just told this to someone two weekends ago. Last weekend it was. No, I, I was at camp two weekends ago. I said, would you pray my girlfriend and I find a place? I said, nope. What? I said, nope. Why not? I said, well, you shouldn't be living with your girlfriend. I can't bless something that God curses. Is that right? You better believe it's right. If all of you said it's wrong, it's still right. Period. That's just the way it is. He said, you know... Pastor, I can't believe you said that. I said, well, I said it, and I'm not going to recant on it. You should not be living with your girlfriend. And I'm not going to be praying you'll find a place. He said, but we're going to get kicked out. I said, well, then don't you have some friends you can go live with? Go live with them. Or don't you have some, what about your parents? Well, uh, he wanted to live with her. I said, well, if you do this, you do it on your own, separate and apart from any of the blessings of God. And with any favor from Pastor Grant, because what you're doing, I just don't believe it's right. So, this man was saying, I just feel terrible. I just can't stop praying. Well, you see, there is a sorrow that, that, that comes in the world. I remember one time when I was visiting with a pastor in Lawton, Oklahoma. And would you believe I ran across one of the saddest situations had I ever seen in my life, there was a man that rushed out in a wheelchair and in the street, and he, he was motioning for us. And I looked. He didn't hardly have any fingers. And uh, <clears throat> so I realized that he, he couldn't talk. He, he could talk, but not, not too, too well. And he had one of these things that he held on his throat here. Oh, I went in the home. What had happened, his daughter was an alcoholic, and and she had passed out, and she was on the sofa. And, you know, just, it was a mess. Oh. And this man lit up a cigarette and was smoking it through a hole in his... So when, when I talked with him, now this man was dying with cancer. He had cancer all over his body. He lost his fingers. And then the pastor told me, he said, I talked with him before, but he will not stop smoking. He will not. And the man just sat there and he wept and cried about his condition. He couldn't walk. He didn't have any fingers. He couldn't talk. He wept and cried about his condition. But you know the thing about it is when we witnessed to him and tried to get him to pray, it was a different story. That's something. Different story. It's amazing how people react to things. I remember selling furniture years ago at Montgomery Wards in Shawano. We were pastoring there, Home Missions Church. I remember talking to one lady, and I was talking to her about buying some furniture. She said, oh. She said, I, I just don't think I'm going to live very long. Well, I thought, you know, she's going to die. I need to talk to her about God. I started talking to her about the Lord. And she says, well, you know, I, I'm in pretty good health, she said. You know. 
I said, no, wait a minute. I just talked to you about some furniture. You didn't want to make the investment because you didn't think you were going to live very long. Now I t- talk to you about the Lord. And you act like you're going to live a thousand years. <laughs> Isn't that something? All of us, you know, we're quite a case, aren't we? That's the way we do things, you know. We just That's the way we do things. Yeah. And even some Christians can become quite, you know, quite a derelict. And, and, and yet, at the same time, you know, you know, they just act like they're going to live forever. They hear this preaching about Jesus Christ is coming back and prophecy and, and all that preaching that Brother Johnson did. And they just, oh, just gonna live forever. Ezekiel 11, 19, 18, 31, and 36, 26 talks about God taking away the heart of stone. And giving you a heart of flesh. You know when he takes away the heart of stone? When, when, when you approach God. And you become willing to be ripped apart. Torn up. And you know what? You, you will not perceive correctly. You will not understand. You can harbor bitternesses in your heart. You can get mad at God. I've talked with people who just got mad at God. Well, they didn't know how to fight him, but they were mad at him. Couldn't send him a letter because they didn't know where to send it. You know, All they could do is just go around grumbling and complaining. But they were mad at God. There are people like that. But what are you going to do about this? I can tell you how you can cure that problem in a hurry. Let God talk with you. The very thing you're running from is the very thing that will solve that problem. God himself. I'd like for you to stand with me as I close. I'd like for you to turn to Matthew 5. What is commonly called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are attitudes that you should be. (laughs) Or you should possess. I put it that way because... Of the pronunciation of this. Beatitudes. Attitudes that you should be. And seeing the multitudes, he went into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor in spirit. What do you think about someone who's poor in spirit? It actually means broken in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, what I want to point out is, you know what the word blessed means here in Matthew 5? It just simply means happy. That's all it means here. Now, it doesn't always mean that in Scripture, but it does here. Now, this is what the Scripture is saying. Happy are the broken. Happy are they that mourn. 
Happy are the meek. Happy are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Happy. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. You know, it, it is great to be around someone that's happy all the time. It's just kind of contagious, you know. Yeah, really. Uh, we have a few people in our church that are not just real happy type people. And I feel I have a special mission from God to help those that are not so happy. Really. There are people that I'd like to take a big rubber band. I'd take, like to go down to the hardware store and get one of these S hooks, attach it on each end, and I'd like to put it right here and go around their head so they just... <clears throat> you know, just to teach them to smile. You know, just, just kind of a little physical thing that I figured out. Teach, <laughs> teach them to smile. You know, just... <clears throat> Start out with a big rubber band. Because they couldn't, you know, you, you know, it'd be too much pressure if you got a small one. After a while, you just you keep increasing it. You know, it's like braces on your teeth. You keep cranking it down. That's why you get it out close to years, you know. Praise God. So why are you so happy? Well, I know how to pray. Know how to be sensitive to God. Know how to seek the Lord. Let me get all uptight about having my own way and doing things my own way. You talk about a miserable creature. I would be one because I have been there. I know what it's like to go to bed unhappy. I know what it's like to get up unhappy. I know what it's like to worry about things all day long. And who's, you know, who's, you know, who's against me and, you know. Not too long ago, someone said, I wish I could find out who did that. And I said, well, I'll help you investigate, especially if you're looking for someone to hate. I said, well, that's not it. I said, why would you like to find them then? Because you see, right now you've got hate in your heart and you don't know who to direct it toward. Why don't you just drop the matter? It's kind of silly, isn't it? Better off not knowing some things. <laughs> Praise God. Now, I have this monumental job of finishing this message. The best move that I ever made in my whole life took place April 15, 1961. When I just went over all the excuses and everything. And I looked at myself and I said, God, you're laying this painful experience on me because you care. Because you want to save. And I stepped out and came down to the altar. And I knelt. And God's children gathered around me. And I began to repent of my sins. And God not only filled me with the Holy Ghost, He healed my body. Totally healed me. I will ever be grateful to the Lord for what He's done for me. Our altar's open. If anyone would like to come and pray for the Holy Ghost, why don't you step out right now? Come on right now. Don't tarry. Don't wait. Just step right out. Come right down here. This will be the happiest day of your life.
be the best day you've ever lived. Come on, let's respond to God right now. Our praise singers will sing, and as they're singing, come on. Oh, hallelujah. Don't turn him away. Come on, right now. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I pray. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Jesus, Lord, Jesus, Lord, Jesus, Lord. That's it. God bless these who are coming. Come on, step out right now. Let God deal with your heart. Now we need people to come and pray with these who are here. Are still open. There's still room at the cross for you. Come on, step out right now, would you? Come on, let's pray. is alive and he's coming back soon for his church. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let him talk to your heart this morning. Let him fill you with the Holy Ghost. Worship you, God. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh, 